Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just before we get started, if you want to help fund this podcast so it can continue, go to unitedthroughtime.com forward slash support for details on how to sign up to be a patron. On with the show. Cheers. Welcome back to United Through Time and part two of our documentary on Charlie Roberts, an outcast, a tobacconist, a legendary football player. In this part, we discuss why Charlie Roberts was overlooked for his country for so long, our Charlie becomes a title winner, an FA Cup winner, and changes football as a sport forever before he joins Oldham Athletic for a massive transfer fee, misses the war through illness, manages the Latics, and then tries to set up his own football club. It's a busy one. Our guests today are Charlie's grandson, Ted, Mark Metcalf, Gary James, Paddy Barkley, and Richard Butler. December the 1st, 1906, marked the real start of the great partnership of Charlie Roberts, Alec Bell, and Dick Duckworth. The latter came into the team and would play the next 22 consecutive games. But in this particular match, United were City's whipping boys. Still, at least they left City's ground with the signatures of their four best players. You can hear the detail on that story in our episode on Ernest Magno or in our next episode on Billy Meredith. But in short, Charlie's United now had the services of football's first superstar, Billy Meredith. I mean, you couldn't really make two better signings than that for Manchester United. Roberts had been Ernest Magno's cantonar, and then Meredith was another one. United needed to improve their attack to make any kind of mark on the first division, and Meredith would do just that. But so too would the others who came from City, especially Sandy Turnbull. But Magnol's signings, to me, were the equivalent of Cantona in terms of impact on a club. In, and, and I mean, that puts them up with the, the greatest of, like uh, Napoli signing Maradona. I mean, th- those, these are the greatest signings of all time. And, and Magnol's, at least two of Magnol's signings could be put in that category, in my opinion. They all made their debuts on January the 1st, New Year's Day 1907. Meredith, Turnbull, Herbert Burgess and Jimmy Bannister. United's lineup suddenly resembled that of a title-winning one. It took a while to settle, though. A 1-0 win against Aston Villa was good enough, but United went out of the FA Cup to Portsmouth and were then hammered by Newcastle and Arsenal. By the end of the season, their form had certainly picked up. They'd won more games in the second half of the season than they had done in the first, and they finished eighth, their highest ever position. As the season concluded and Roberts signed on at United again along with the rest of his teammates, the colonial premiers arrived from across the world in Manchester. 
Winston Churchill MP acted as tour guide, bringing them on a train from Euston and taking them past the headquarters of Manchester United, the Imperial Hotel, where festoons and garlands of artificial flowers outline the front of the house, to welcome the premiers of New Zealand, Newfoundland and Transvaal. In the summer, Charlie headed to Grimsby for a couple of weeks, trawler fishing in Icelandic waters, and Bob Bonthorn, the 23-year-old fullback, was sold to Sunderland for a decent fee. Dick Holden replaced him in the United lineup, and in came Jimmy Turnbull as well, former Preston North End forward who had moved down to play at Leighton. He was seen as the most important signing of the summer, there's no doubt about that. One of the best judges of a footballer and a gentleman who is not unknown in Manchester contends that in Turnbull the United have got a tip-top centre-forward. Weighing over 12 stone, Turnbull is almost as speedy as Wall, and being of the Donaldson type, fear is unknown to him. He scored 45 goals in 78 games for United. Turnbull was one of the lucky United players taken to Magnell's hometown of Bolton in the summer. The Reds visited the annual agricultural show and played a couple of games of pushball with Bolton Wanderers. Pushball was a, an American sport where 11 players on each team liked football, but they pushed an enormous heavy ball towards a target which you could either score in or lift over for extra points. It didn't catch on. The games did much to loosen the limbs of the players. Two more proper practice matches were lined up, not of pushball though. On the 17th and then the 24th of August, United used their red kits against their white kits and looked in great shape. Magnol knew what he was doing and played one team as the best defensive lineup with Roberts at the heart of it and the other team was Meredith, the attacking outfit. The rest of the positions were filled by reserves. On both occasions, the teams were entertained at the house of John Henry Davies afterwards. At some point in 1907, Charlie started his new business. He opened a tobacco shop on Ashton New Road, just round the corner from United's Bank Street ground. Charlie's grandson, Ted, tells us about it. Well, the original building was, but was uh, on the, more or less on the corner of Bank Street, a little bit up from Bank Street. And Charlie used to uh, work in the shop, you know, until 15 minutes before kickoff, giving the fans, you know, five woodbines, please, Charlie. You know, he was a businessman, he was a very good businessman. Woodbines, please, Charlie, have a good game, all that stuff, you see. And if they'd lost, he stayed in the ground. If he won, he went back to the shop to serve the fans going, oh, well done, Charlie, had a good goal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> United began the season in pretty sensational form. They were said to have a very big task before them at Aston Villa on the opening day. It was Monday night football, kind of. No cameras. 5.15pm on a Monday though, September the 2nd, and United went ahead after just four minutes through George Wall and ended 4-1 winners. The next weekend, they beat Liverpool 4-0 thanks to a Sandy Turnbull hat-trick. The accolades for United were endless and they reached fever pitch when United went to St James's Park and delivered a 6-1 trouncing upon Newcastle United. Roberts scored one of the goals. According to the Dundee Courier, he was seen as a certainty for international honours this season. Across the country, United's brilliance was widely reported on. In the Sheffield Evening Telegraph, reporters recall a very extraordinary performance of theirs which apparently being added to every week. So far, they've played 11 matches, of which 10 have been won, and the only time they've failed to score more than one goal was on the occasion of their defeat to Middlesbrough. They obtained six goals against Newcastle, five against Blackburn Rovers, both of these matches being away from home, and on five other occasions, they've scored four goals. In the Farringdon Advertiser and Vale of the White Horse Gazette, the United are winning matches in convincing style. 
I like the way their forwards are scoring goals in every match. A Manchester man tells me that any centre-forward ought to play well in front of Charlie Roberts, the United centre-half, and it is equally true that an attacking line which includes star wingers like Meredith and Wall should get goals. Roberts was at the heart of everything. To remind you, the centre-half was the side's most technical player often, the heart of the action. Sometimes Roberts' job would be to palm it out to the wingers of Meredith and Wool, but he had to make opportunities himself. And Charlie Roberts was a great, great player and, and captain and leader of the team. The Athletic News carried a major report into the reasons for United's early season success, speaking to Charlie Roberts. We suppose if anybody could fully explain the wonderful advance of the leaders during this season, the proper man to do so would be their captain, Bobs. Asked for the secrets of United's triumphant time, Charlie's reply was characteristic of the United captain, who preferred not to talk of men, but of the team. He said that their run of luck, presumably modesty, would not permit him to state the facts with plainness, had been due to their combination. The players blended in style pace and the cooperation of the halfbacks with the vanguard often gave the club the advantage of eight forwards. The youth of the team was a powerful factor in their success for Roberts considered that the average age would be only 24. Nor must we admit that the United captain laid great stress on the remark that they were not overtrained. They merely underwent official preparation for two days in each week, Tuesday and Thursday. In view of an eight-month season and the faithfulness of each man to the club, this, in his opinion, was all that was required. Lastly, their run of victory had been due to immunity from accident. So long as their players had fortune in the field, in reference to their injuries, Roberts believed that they would be a powerful eleven. It is evident that the captain is a man of thought as well as action. And they were right. Roberts was a man of thought and action. While the printing presses churned out copies of that day's athletic news with its tribute to Charlie Roberts, the man himself was sitting in the Imperial Hotel, Manchester, helping to create the Association Footballers Players Union with Billy Meredith, December the 2nd, 1907. Meredith was perhaps more influential in the very start of the union, so more on that next time in the next episode, but Roberts would become a key cog in the players' fight for rights, especially in 1909. We're going to discuss this in more detail in just a few minutes, but before, we need to talk about some trophies. As Christmas came and went and United won more games, the papers wrote, Manchester United remain undisturbed at the top of the English league. Everywhere Roberts' boys went, they were watched by tens of thousands. 45,000 turned out on Christmas Day to see United beat Bury. In the return fixture, the locals said, If the Bury club could claim Gates as a regular thing like that of yesterday, there would be no fears as to the future. The Manchester United team is a drawing power, no matter where it plays. Certainly Charlie Roberts was that figure and, and was a, probably... United's true first sort of star. And people talk about Meredith, but obviously Charlie Roberts precedes Meredith and, and Charlie Roberts is something significant is a significant player. And Meredith had already made it. Meredith was already an FA Cup winner. Um well known international football, the most famous mate name in, in football at the time. So Charlie Roberts is the one that from a United a pure United perspective is that first true great hero, I would I would say. That had been true at home too. Just before Christmas, United hit three against City in one of the hardest games of many of the players' careers. The ground was just a sea of mud, Meredith said of it. We soon lost Burgess and Sandy Turnbull to injury. Fancy being left with nine men on a day like that. I can see Charlie Roberts rolling his sleeves up to the elbow when the second man went off. We had the lead of 3-1 and how the nine men kept it in the second half, none of them can tell to this day. But they did it. Every man was covered with mud, almost from head to foot. United's scoring dried up though. Between December 28th, a 0-0 draw with Preston, and February the 22nd, a win against Aston Villa in the FA Cup, they scored no more than one goal per game. 
Now, that's not a terrible record, but compared to their early season form, it seemed that way. Nevertheless, they won three of the five games, but such were the dizzying heights of their early season form that even this minor hiccup represented a major fall back down to earth. But if Charlie needed a pick-me-up, he certainly got one. On January 28th, 1908, he and May celebrated the birth of a child, William Roberts. Their first child, called Charlie, sadly died as an infant. Fortunately, William survived, and Charlie's father, Jacob, was also still around to meet little Willie, even if his mother was not. Also fortunate was that United played their next three games at home, so Charlie wasn't gone away for too long. Come the end of March, United's gap at the top had widened, despite defeat away at Arsenal and a remarkable 7-4 loss at Anfield. Most disappointing for Roberts at this time, though, was the lack of an international call-up. So, while Billy Wedlock was fighting for his country, his great rival Roberts was seen at Bristol helping Manchester United to snatch a point from the needy Bristolians. Why Roberts was overlooked this year isn't completely clear. At this point, it's not his role in the players' union that would have done it. It seems to be two reasons. The first, he got on the nerves of the FA by wearing short shorts and being northern. The second, United had suffered badly the last time he'd been called up and there had been some complaint casual complaint from officials at United that they would have been promoted earlier had Charlie Roberts not been playing with England. The FA remembered that. There was actually a third reason as well, and it was simply players in Manchester and a couple of similar cities just weren't really watched by the people who made these decisions. There's an incredible tale that when Charlie Roberts had to talk to an FA commission about a fan incident at a game in 1905, one of the men on the commission asked him who he was. The same man was part of the selection committee for international matches. Roberts is a wonderful asset to the United attack, a Bristolian writer wrote. And the writer cannot shake off the idea that he would make a glorious centre-forward if tried there, a craftsman of the Vivian Woodward type. United lost to Nottingham Forest, drew with Manchester City and then lost to Aston Villa. It was a truly terrible Easter weekend with one point from a possible six. Their lead, though, dropped only from eight points to six. But with two games still in hand as well, it was only a matter of whether United would break a record, not if they would win the title. It'd been that way since March. The talk of a possible record began in early April. The news columns had read, Manchester United now look like topping the 51 league record and goal average possessed by Liverpool. This news came just after Harold House had been signed. He scored in the first minute of his debut. And yet... It cannot be said that the followers of the United are enjoying themselves. The team which in the early months touched the extreme almost in brilliance and ability have now gone nearly to the other extreme in their ineffectiveness. As one of them remarked to me, we don't seem to be able to do right now. At one time, we could do no wrong. I must confess that on present form, the United are a poor lot and one can hardly imagine them as champions. But that the luck is against them is very apparent. For though they outplayed the City, they were denied the goals they were full value for, while in the game against the Villa, they had to play with practically ten men all through, for James Turnbull was injured in the first quarter of an hour and was almost useless afterwards. Roberts was said to be one of the outstanding players of the day in a loss at Nottingham Forest, where United played admirably. Albeit the United captain marred one otherwise fine exhibition by a display of tactics that did not commend themselves to the crowd. Roberts missed the final two games of the season, a 2-2 draw away at Bolton Wanderers and a 2-1 win at home to Preston where United were finally crowned champions. It was an achievement overshadowed by the English Cup final as Wolves triumphed down in London. Even the Manchester Courier, United's local paper, carried the league win in the bottom half of their columns. United had secured the record points total as well, thanks to a goal from Harold House on the final day of the season, which took them from 52 points from a possible 76. 
There was an extraordinary demonstration at the close of the game between Manchester United and Preston North End at Clayton. Thousands of people gathered in front of the stand and cheered loudly at the success of the great team, which, for the first time in history, has brought the championship to Manchester. There was also a great competition for the red and white buttonholes, which Mr J.H. Davis, the worthy president, distributed amongst the demonstrators. United was much the better team in a very moderate game, but bearing in mind that Roberts, Burgess, the two Turnbulls and Duckworth were absentees, the champions did well to win. United travelled quickly down to London to face Queen's Park Rangers in the FA Community Shield. That was a draw and a replay was needed later in the year. Then they went back up to Manchester to play Bury in the Manchester Senior Cup. They won 1-0 and secured another trophy. Two in a week. Over the summer, United headed to Europe for their first ever overseas tour. Now, we have covered the European tour before in the Ernest Magnet episode, so the only story we'll tell is from Charlie's perspective. He sent this message back to England via Reuters. Football is ambushed. The attack on Manchester United at Budapest, Reuters Telegram, Vienna, Monday. Mr Roberts, captain of the Manchester United team, which has been playing in Budapest, says it would be difficult to tell the precise cause of the attack on his 11 at Budapest yesterday. The crowd was a very large one, numbering 11,000, and became very excited. Being confident that Budapest were winning, they bet heavily on them, but finding the home team outclassed, the crowd became angry and hooted and hissed. Finally, when a dispute rose over the removal of the Hungarian linesman who was obstructing the view of the goal, the spectators began to throw stones, some of considerable size. Several of the Manchester United players were struck, but the injuries inflicted were comparatively trifling. A body of mounted police came to the rescue of the Englishman and escorted them some distance from the ground. Immediately the police withdrew, the crowd ambushed the Englishman and threw more stones. Mr. Roberts thinks the affair rose from the disappointment and vexation of the Budapesters at seeing their team so easily defeated. Manchester United today played a mixed team of Vienna clubs and won three goals to two. More on that story is in the Magnal episode. A few weeks after Charlie returned from Europe, his father Jacob died at the final age of 77. Now, it's time to head from Budapest to Burnley. The FA Cup was bigger than the league in, 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 in English football. Manchester United's performance as reigning league champions was reasonable. In fact, five consecutive wins at the start of the season were very impressive. Jimmy Turnbull was on fire and scored eight in his first three games, all of which followed a charity shield victory for United, the second national trophy Charlie had lifted as captain. He and his teammates went out on the town in London after thrashing QPR at Stamford Bridge. Not too many months later, they'd be retracing their steps to do the same again with another trophy. As of November the 1st, United sat fourth with a game in hand. Their blistering start to the campaign meant a few slip-ups were just that. But United didn't look like they'd be champions again, and things did slowly unravel. Due to the nature of the two-points-fell win league, it wasn't too much of an ask to stay within catching distance of the rest of the pack, though. Charlie picked up a bad injury in late October, as United drew to Forest, although it was after he went off that his teammates woke up and got goals back. If this is going to continue, Robertson's absence after all will not be a serious matter to the club, said one reporter, who was proved laughably wrong when Sunderland hit a Robertsless United for six a week later and then lost to Chelsea too. In fairness, United had only nine men by half-time of that Sunderland defeat as they picked up two serious first-half injuries and lost 6-1. The FA Cup was on United's mind, so especially that of Ernest Magnell. 
He dropped everything in order to lift the English Cup and devised a good, if slightly dull, tactic of excellent defence led by Roberts and a counter-attack goal from Harold House. It worked against Brighton and Everton with 1-0 wins and then United beat Blackburn 6-1. But now to Burnley. Discussing his best English Cup tie many years later, Charlie listed some good ones but then said, All these pale before a game in which I shall never forget. It was a replay tie against Burnley on their ground in the year we won the Cup. The replay was necessary because the first game was stopped by the elements. At that first meeting, the ground was like a sheet of ice, and we played the first half in a blinding snowstorm, which we incidentally had to face. 20 minutes of the second half had gone, and Burnley were still leading a goal to nothing when the referee decided that the 22 players had gone through their punishment long enough. The game was stopped. The supporters seemed to have an idea that we had been instrumental in stopping the game because we were goals to the bad. When I led the team on the field for the replay, we were greeted with such a round of booing and hissing as I have not heard either before or since. The excitement throughout the match was terrific. Burnley got the first goal, but after a great struggle, we managed to beat them by 3-2. Even to this day, when I appear anywhere in the vicinity of Burnley, I can hear a well-recognised cry of, Stop the game, it's snowing, which once again brings to my mind my most exciting cup tie. United played Newcastle in the semi-final and won in a low-quality game at Bramall Lane. Roberts was the best man on the field. Many fans were heard saying as they boarded trains in Sheffield to return to Manchester. I hope you're enjoying this episode of United Through Time. It's been a fun one to produce, there's no doubt about that. The show is going to continue in just a second, but I just wanted to offer you the chance to help fund United Through Time to keep making podcasts like this. You can go to unitedthroughtime.com forward slash support to find out more information on how to become a patron. Patreon is a platform where so-called creators can offer extra bonus content to their listeners or viewers for a small amount of money. There's four tiers available to you between 38p a week and £10 a month. If you're interested, go to unitedthroughtime.com forward slash support. And if you sign up, you won't have to hear this message or any kind of ads ever again. Cheers. Charlie Roberts is leading Manchester United out at the Crystal Palace Sports Ground for the English Cup final. Moments before, Billy Wedlock of Bristol City, wearing a rich blue shirt, had led his side out. The two are the finest centre-halves in the country. Wedlock had kept Roberts out of the England team for the past two years, much to the frustration of many involved in football. But as they step out into the roar of 70,000 people, one appears much more at home than the other, the natural leader in his natural habitat like Keane, Robson and many others who succeeded him. They made a very dissimilar pair, Wedlock's little form in blue being overshadowed by the tall athletic personality of the Manchester United skipper, whose white garments added to his eye-filling appearance. United wore a thick off-white shirt, a red chevron emblazoned across the chest and the red rose of Lancashire, that great sporting emblem on the location of the heart. One of the shirts is available to view at the National Football Museum. Roberts and his teammates had been very well treated in the build-up to the final. United had stayed at the Chingford Hotel in North London, playing golf, tennis and enjoying evenings together for more than a week. Roberts had been missing for a couple of days. His newly born daughter, Margaret, his second child, was suffering from bronchitis. But he made it back in good time and United needed him desperately. Perhaps it is best now at this point to really emphasise the genuine quality of Charlie Roberts as a player and a captain. In the same manner as Keane and Brian Robson, the players who he led out onto the field that day had a deference to Charlie Roberts, but would simultaneously do anything to fulfil Charlie's wishes. 
So Andy Turnbull, for example, United's formidable forward man, would often want a pint of beer at half-time. It was no doubt an odd routine, but it happened nearly every match. And yet, every time, this confident Scotsman would ask Charlie for permission. They were mates and they would joke around off the pitch, but in the dressing room and on the pitch, there was a level of genuine respect. He inspired those around him, lifted crowds single-handedly and brought to life otherwise dull games. His passing was accurate, his defending reliable, his pace equal to any other, his finishing good enough, his capacity to read the game, what it needed at what time, was the same as any other great United player. Well, Robert, Robert is an incredible character. The pivot in the truest sense on which the United team works. Quick to grasp the possibilities of a situation, Roberts possesses an individuality which seems to literally inspire his colleagues. He has seldom been known to fail in an emergency. And, as with all great sporting captains, Charlie Roberts had never given his teammates even an inkling of a reason not to wholeheartedly support him. Quite the opposite. He protected them and lifted them. He founded an entire trade union for solely that purpose. And in the build-up to the FA Cup final, Roberts convinced Ernest Magnol to play Sandy Turnbull, who had been injured for several weeks since picking up a knock in the semi-final. He might get a goal, and if he does, we can afford to carry a passenger, Roberts said. In the dressing room, the vibrations of the arriving supporters felt in the Sydenham slopes. Roberts told Sir Frederick Wall, the Football Association secretary, to get lost. His players needed no distractions. A furious and dismayed wall left, though with a few words of disgruntlement. And on the pitch, his performances were always exemplary. You never felt a game was lost with Charlie Roberts on the pitch. His presence attracted fans of other clubs to come and watch United, just like Meredith and other great players like George Best, and Roberts instilled fear into the opposition. It remained, of course, a team effort, but at the centre of everything, always, was Roberts. And so it was no surprise when it was his command and control that helped United into a cup final lead. Certainly Charlie Roberts was that figure and, and was a, probably United's true first sort of star. The ball had been bubbling about from head to edge from a kick out when Roberts trapped it and went on. His footwork beat wedlock as easily as possible and he turned the ball over to House, who delivered a stinging shot that rebounded from the bar. Alexander Turnbull closed in at the right moment and banged the ball into the net. Roberts played his usual sound game at centre-half and on either side of him, Duckworth and Bell afforded most capable support. Their tackling and placing of the ball in front of their forwards helped the side to carry on as an exceptionally fast game. In the morning post, it was said that the half-back line of Manchester United dictated the whole course of the game. It took command of the play at once, easily crippling the ideas of the Bristol forwards and laying many fine balls for its own first line. When, in the early moments of the game, it was marked how easily Charlie Roberts moved on the ball, the fate of Bristol City seemed sealed. There is an expressive football colloquialism which conveys much to the practice player. It is making rings round opponents. Manchester United accomplished a great deal of this kind of thing. Hayes, the Manchester back, had to retire owing to injury. He soon returned, but Roberts showed splendid generalship by putting the lame man into the forward line as partner to Billy Meredith, for Duckworth had gone to fullback and House halfback, an alteration that did not weaken the side. Charlie Roberts was the captain, and that meant at this time in football's development, he was the man who organised the team on the field. I mean, he could basically let... Charlie Roberts was a great student of the game, uh, run, run things on the park and uh, basically just 
Apart from that, just a question of keeping them fit. Roberts was handed the English Cup by Lord Charles Beresford, a famous and popular naval captain. The presentation was, as was the case until the 2000s, a very inconspicuous presentation of the sport's most important prize, which in itself was an underwhelmingly small silver trophy, which it would still be today, had a replica not been made for United President John Henry Davies, which infuriated the Football Association so much that they created a new trophy, which they then copyrighted. Roberts first took his side to celebrate at the Trocadero restaurant. They drank for hours and then remembered that Roberts had made a promise. United's iconic kits for the final had been a donation from United fan and decent amateur footballer, and more importantly famous stage performer, George Roby, who that night was performing at the Alhambra Theatre. Roberts had promised George Roby that he would bring his United team to the 9pm show that evening. JJ Bentley, United's chairman, took a glance at the pair of Charlie Roberts and Sandy Turnbull, a little red infused into their cheeks by an evening of drinks, and stopped them for a second. I think I'd better come along where I can see the cup being lost in London. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. This evening's performance is about to begin. Thank you. When Roberts arrived at the Alhambra, he realised he didn't quite have the full United team that he'd promised George Roby. I brought about a dozen of my friends from Manchester. One had a bald head, one had a silver plate in his side. I stood on one end of the stage and Sandy at the other, while George Livingston, Jimmy Turnbull, Mr Bentley and Harry Stafford stood at the back. And with my friends mixed in, it was the greatest cook team you ever saw. The screen went up and I thought I should have fainted as the crowd began to cheer. I was winking at Roby to get the stream down, and then the laugh that I had been bursting to let out came forth in its full strength. The team I had collected to represent the cup winners included a poultry dealer, a bookmaker, a builder, and a greengrocer among them. 300,000 people welcomed Charlie's United team back to Manchester. He sat at the front of the carriage for the trophy parade. Led by white horses, the carriage moved through the streets of Manchester to the adulation of the supporters. He lifted the cup up and down every so often, launching it into the sky to a regular cheer. Ted Roberts is showing me a picture over a WhatsApp video call during the coronavirus lockdown. Is that your father with the football? Yeah. And my father was born in January 1908. I suspect that could be, that football could be the cup winning ball of 1909. Ah. Uh, the baby looks to be about a year old. Yeah. But I know it's my father because there's a, there's a, there is a press report. Bloody hell, it's going to get spiders like it. Yeah. 
Four months after their FA Cup win, Charlie and his teammates transformed from the praiseworthy winners of the Football Association's flagship competition to the bastard rebels of the Players' Union. For all the brilliance of both Charlie Roberts and Billy Meredith on the pitch, their off-field incidents and happenings are just as important as their on-field excellence. So, here we go. Obviously changed the whole future of football, really, from that point. On December the 2nd, 1907, Charlie Roberts sat in the Imperial Hotel, the headquarters of the Manchester United Club, and as his teammate Billy Meredith spoke, the Association of Football Players and Trainers Union, popularly known as the Players Union, was founded. Its specific and stated aim was to challenge the restriction of players' wages and transfers, in addition to providing legal and financial supports for members and their families. The first attempt at such a union had been back in 1897 when a collection of similarly high-profile players, including members of Preston North End's Invincibles team, opposed the retain and transfer system. This was a system under which a player needed permission from his original club to play for another club, even after the expiration of his contract. It was known, by some people, as white slavery. That union had failed by 1901. But the events of the years that followed, although there were only six of them, created an environment in which not to have a union that represented football players and trainers would be catastrophic. Though much of the basic coverage of the late Victorian and Edwardian period references a good old days myth, there was a contrast between the fledgling success of the self-made man and the deep poverty, illiteracy, hunger and violence experienced in working class communities, often in slum-like conditions. There was indeed a changing of values in this time in Britain. Economic growth and radical new ideas and inventions went hand in hand. For many, it was possible to climb the metaphorical social ladder. And yet, when this idea of meritocracy was being sold, the opposite was true. As Soren Frank has written so wonderfully in Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, a cultural analysis of Manchester United, it was an age when people were encouraged to actively seek their own personal success by offering labour to the highest bidder. And yet, the Football League maintained professional footballers on amateur-like terms and under conditions that were reminiscent of slavery in both a monetary and freedom sense. The Edwardian virtues, every man is the architect of his own fortune, and rules, free market forces, apparently didn't apply in the world of football. In relation to the revenue they helped to generate, they were extremely ill-paid. It is a phenomenon which stretches right through to today. There is now some societal acceptance that the elite footballers deserve to be well paid, but still the job of a footballer, away from the elites, is one where young men can be ruthlessly exploited by those seeking personal financial gain. Owners, agents, coaches, businessmen. And even at the top level there remains a disgust over the wages that footballers earn, a disgust inequal to that that is directed towards society's other top earners. Gianluca Vialli, the ex-Chelsea man, sees it as a very English thing. In England there is a special kind of English morality which generally frowns upon football players' high salaries because it's seen as a sport for the worker. And it was against this culture that Charlie Roberts and co. fought to establish great rights for the worker. They were not just fighting for respect, and there lay their future problems, but they were fighting for real change. The inspiration for the Players' Union came from two main concerns. The first was the maximum wage. 
which was set at £4.10. shillings. This had been set in 1901 after the folding of the original Players Union. It was a very early spark that set about creating a successor to that union. No club abided by this maximum wage, instead paying their players with unofficial bonuses in brown paper envelopes, bloated signing-on fees, conveniently unrelated gifts of businesses, watches, holidays and anything else. Uh, basically, we're part of the game. Everybody was tainted. And in this environment, the Football Association would occasionally slam down the iron fist on one of the many, many offenders. Middlesbrough in 1905 and then to an even greater extent, Manchester City too. Justin Blondell in Back to the Brink has described the FA's treatment of Manchester City as a rape and pillage. To quote Charlie directly, a player is entitled to earn as much for his ability as he can. It's a message that had long-lasting effects, right up until today when players demand more and more for their influence and talent. The second major inspiration was the deep concern over player deaths and the lack of support for families afflicted by such events. This was a concern mainly of Billy Meredith that we'll talk more about in the next episode. But for Roberts, as United captain, he'd seen his own player, his teammate Tommy Blackstock, fall dead on the pitch during a United match. A Kurt Coley native, Blackstock began his career at Wraith Athletic and was only 25 when he sadly died. Witnesses said he had fallen suddenly to the ground after heading the ball out of play. The Manchester City coroner announced the death as due to natural causes. Charlie Roberts was a pallbearer as Tommy's coffin was carried to Manchester Victoria Station to be taken up to Edinburgh. The verdict of natural causes meant that the player's family received no compensation whatsoever. Roberts and Meredith were appalled. And they were treated like slaves. Because if you're in a situation where you can have your contract cancelled and then somebody who you've been employed for then refuses to allow you to move elsewhere. You are in essence born. 32 years after Tommy's sudden death on the pitch, Charlie himself would pass away earlier than expected after a seven and a half hour operation on his brain in which it appeared clear that the constant heading of a heavy football had led to damage greater than would otherwise be expected. And more than half a century on, the PFA, built upon the work of Charlie Roberts, has failed so spectacularly to properly research the effects of heading a football on football players. Billy Meredith took charge of the situation in 1907. He was seven years Roberts' senior. He sent out a letter across the country suggesting the formation of a union and announcing a meeting at the Imperial Hotel. And with Roberts signed up from the beginning and already a leader in the United dressing room, the pair were joined by United teammates Sagar, Burgess and Turnbull and others soon joined up as well. Representatives of 20 clubs said they'd try and make the meeting the majority did. Without the players' union, it's difficult to imagine what what it would have been like for footballers now, really. It would have been totally different, wouldn't it? The union asked for permission to hold a benefit match and the Football Association accepted. Relations were reasonably positive between the two organisations and after a year, the paying membership of the players' union was at 1,300. Quite a few people at the Football Association sympathised with the players and what they wanted, particularly over the concern of the maximum wage. But... It wasn't long before, unsurprisingly, the white slaves and their masters began to clash. It was not over the maximum wage, actually, but instead over the union's use of the 1906 Workmen's Compensation Act, the FAPU took Reading Football Club to court on behalf of one of their members who had been injured during a pre-season game and thus was told he wouldn't be compensated because it was only a friendly. 
The Football Association and the club saw the immediate venture into the courts as a challenge to their primacy. I'm um, saying it, and I think the FA resisted him like they'd resisted everything else prior to that as well up to that point. You know, they just wanted it their way, their own little club, and that was it. The first rumours of a player's strike began at this point, and support in the press, which had initially been very great because of the popularity of Roberts and his peers, ebbed away. More events continued to build upon the tension that existed between the FA and the union. Fulham's George Parsonage wasn't keen on moving north, and so, when he was told he was going to Chesterfield, asked for more than the regular signing-on fee of £10, instead asking for £50. Remember, players had no say in which club they played for. This seemed like a reasonable request. But Chesterfield were disgusted by what they immediately thought was a request so far out of order that they reported the matter to the FA, who banned Parsonage for life. The AFPU gathered a petition of 1,322 signatures in protest. In March 1909, all of this came together and the FA withdrew their support for the players' union. It was only a month before United were crowned English Cup champions and it was a result of the mentions of a strike. As press support dwindled, the union and its main members were becoming increasingly isolated and outcast. Roberts maintained the support of his club though. John Henry Davies was made president of the union early on and the reasons for his support may have been moral but it also made economic sense for United. If the maximum wage was removed, United could suddenly use Davies' money to attract the best players without having to use underhand tactics. They could afford to pay players more than most other clubs and so would benefit. But as the FA and the union started to clash, Davies' support, or at least his public support, dwindled too. The FA sought to capitalise on the advantage they held in the summer of 1909. They had the support of the press, they had the support of the clubs, so they enforced a loyalty clause into all future playing contracts for players. Players were told if they stayed members of it, they would be sacked from their employment. Meaning loyalty to the FA and thus against the players' union. And thus erupted one of the most dramatic pre-seasons there has ever been. Many players accepted the ultimatum. Some even offered a snivelling apology, including all 28 professionals at Aston Villa, the club of the elite. It was a serious matter and it required serious backbone, something those players didn't have, but Roberts did. Charlie had a benefit waiting to be held for him. I had a benefit due with a guarantee of £500 at the time and if the sentence was not removed, I would lose that also, besides my wages, so it was quite a serious matter for me. Led by their captain Charlie Roberts and star player Billy Meredith, the whole United squad refused to sign up to such a clause. And so did their reserves, meaning United had no players. It was not just the acts of Roberts and Meredith which were so important, but these reserves as well. Were it not for them, they would have played while the star players were banned and undermined the effort. It was partly, I imagine, the inspiration of the acts of FA Cup winners Roberts and Meredith, their status as stars, that encouraged the reserves to follow in their footsteps. Denied wages by the club, the players got inventive. Roberts recalled, We waited and waited for our manager, but he did not appear that morning and all we could get out of the office boy was, There are no wages for you, as the FA have suspended you all. Well, something will have to be done, said Sandy Turnbull as he took a picture off the wall and walked out of the office with it under his arm. The rest of the boys followed suit and looking glasses, hairbrushes and several other things were for sale a few minutes later at the corner of the ground. I stayed behind a while with the office boy, who was in a terrible state over the players taking things away. He was most anxious to get them back before the manager arrived. Come along with me and I'll get them back for you, I said. 
It's only one of their little jokes. I soon recovered the lost property for him, but it was funny to see those players walking off the ground with the pitchers under their arms. But denied wages, the players were soon also denied access to the training facilities at their club as well. And so, Charlie led his players to the Fallowfield Athletic Ground to conduct pre-season training. He was no stranger to leading trainer after all. Though United's manager was Ernest Magno and trainer was Fred Bacon, Roberts would be in charge of a lot of the tactics and routines, including in training as well as matches. It was a gift to the press. The FA Cup champions, the most famous footballers in the country and possibly in the world, paying a few quid a week to train on a field in Fallowfield. There's a back page for you. A photographer came to document the happenings, unsurprisingly. He got a couple of shots of the players in action, kicking the heavy ball around, and then he asked for a team photo. So the Manchester United team, with the additions of a couple of players from Everton and Sunderland, lined up. A blackboard was lying near, presumably to talk tactics. It does seem scripted at times, and yet it's not. And Robert's clever lad made out the uh, sign saying the outcast. All the media went down there and took photographs, and that's an iconic photograph. In itself, the writing was not an inspirational act, but the message behind it was. The Outcasts FC garnered enormous publicity. It was not just a message to clubs and the FA, but to other players as well. The FA Cup winners and recent title winners were locked out of their own club, so why can't you join the fight as well? As Roberts said, remember that union is strength and that without it, you can do nothing. 17 Sunderland players now maintained their union memberships and professionals from Newcastle, Everton and Liverpool followed. One of the key men was Tim Coleman of Everton who broke ranks with his teammates to join the United players. The postcard itself that had the Outcast FC picture on it, it is now a famous image, one which hangs on the wall of the PFA offices and in libraries around Manchester. Go look it up, just Google Outcast FC and you'll see it. The outcasts paid £5 a week to use the Fallowfield grounds. Late in August, Roberts didn't train with the rest of his teammates as he tried to handle the FA at the same time. Every man was there and has been ever since. They're all there today under my care and everyone is in the best possible condition, he said of his teammates. Whether we play for Manchester United, and we all hope we shall, or whether we play for the outcast football club, as we have styled ourselves, we will certainly give a good account of ourselves. Now, there was some suggestion of the season being delayed, Roberts didn't think so. They will find the players' union serving up first-class football this week whether the season is officially opened or not. The truth is that the FA mean to try and punish us Manchester lads for daring to disobey their command. Will our fellow players throughout the country stand by and see this done after the stand we have made for professional players? Will they not lend us a hand in striking a blow at this autocratic body? Such a blow that it will, I hope, put them to sleep forever. I think they will. I'm certain we should have plenty of support up and down the country. Over the course of August, meeting after meeting was held. Committees came together, met again and then again. The FA met with the union. During uh, our discussion <coughs> this week, there has been a good deal of talk about the purpose of this conference. Both seemed to be nearing a compromise and then one would suggest something that the other found impossible to accept and start over again, they would. Roberts called for a strike in pretty plain terms. The FA, having left the negotiating table on August 24th, only one week before the start of the season, returned to it on the final day of the month, meeting the union in Birmingham. I take it that those of us who come here, come here as enthusiastic A settlement was reached, the union was allowed to continue and players could maintain their membership of it but FA rules were to be respected. 
it was not a victory for the Union, but it meant that the 1909-10 season had started on time. You see, the Union had won the right to exist, but not much more. The FA allowed the Union on the condition that it didn't join up with the General Federation of Trades Union, the larger national body that brought all unions together. The players voted on this decision and 470 voted against affiliating with the GFTU and only 172 in favour. Roberts was dismayed. The players had given up their two main bargaining tools, a possible delayed start to the season and their membership of a key bigger organisation, the General Federation of Trade Unions. Wages, transfers, duty of care, none of this had changed. I would have seen the FA in Jericho before I would have resigned membership of that body because it was our strength and right arm, but I was only one member of the players' union. To the shame of the majority, they voted the only power they had away from themselves, and the FA knew it, Charlie said. These were strong words for a man who very rarely exaggerated things. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The war continued throughout September, though the season started on time. Charlie Roberts' benefit match was meant to be Manchester United against Newcastle United on October the 2nd, but it wasn't anymore. And United's players hadn't been paid for weeks. The FA had held firm on not allowing back pay for some time. Interestingly, it had only been one man in the committee who had insisted on this, much to the bemusement of his colleagues, but none of them dared speak out and suggest it was a ridiculous idea. And it left United's players without a penny. We have not received a penny piece from any source whatsoever. £28 in wages had been withheld. Another £20 had been withheld for winning the cup as well. And a few bits more in other bits of income. By now, Charlie Roberts was hated by the Football Association and any hopes of playing for England had probably dissipated. So it was a continuous process. We all fight battles. Everybody fights battles in which we probably know we're not going to win those battles. Okay, We fight them because they are the right battles to fight. There's no question about that. Throughout life, people win some, they lose some. At that period of time, Meredith and Roberts fought they lost, but they built those experiences into other players coming through. They understood that. Over the next few months, United players would seek personal revenge on the players who had not supported them. They played Aston Villa, the FA's darling boys, and it was a personal battle. Jimmy Turnbull was sent off as United won 2-0. The newspapers said, There were several incidents in which players lost command of their temper. 
Then they played Sheffield United, another club who had openly supported the Football Association and United were furious again. George Wall scored the only goal in an otherwise nasty game where Jimmy Turnbull again was sent off for the second consecutive match. The FA's Charles Clegg and Lord Kinniard were in attendance to watch that game as referee Tom Kirkman deemed it necessary to suspend play whilst he gave a general caution. Even the goalkeepers were called to this informal conference. Roberts's benefit was constantly delayed and the back pay for the summer was as well. In late October, Billy Meredith was still complaining about both matters in the papers. The pair remained outcasts for life. In 1932, Benny Rothman, a Manchester Jewish lad, uh, led the Kinder Scout trespass. Okay? He was arrested. He was put into prison. That caused so much animosity, so much anger, that people from then on wanted to ensure that we had the right to go Roman on the countryside. In 1949, we got the National Parks Act. And in 2004, we got the right to Rome. Okay, So that is seven two years after Benny Rothman stood up for the rights of all of us, okay? So you look at that period, okay? And so they stood up for the rights of footballers, okay? They also got a a greater compensation working package so that footballers themselves were party to that package, that if they were injured or were killed at work, they gained greater compensation. So they got that as well. And they also got a long-standing group of people who were prepared to speak about their experiences. So there was a history, there was understanding. And within that, that made it possible for players to keep in the union, keep fighting for the rights, and eventually to win their rights. And for the top players, that has been incredibly successful. Yes, they, they lost, but like Benny Rothman, who, as I said, is a Manchester laddie, basically, they won, they won the battle, they won the hearts and minds, and ultimately that led to massive social changes, and that can only be for the good. In that itself, they're worthy of memory. It's sad that at this stage there isn't seriously anything up to these two players uh, in locations where they should be. But you never know, that's perhaps something that you, in your podcast and on your book, can promote. That's all we have time for on part two of United Through Time's documentary on the incredible Charlie Roberts. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you to my guests Mark Metcalf at the end there, Ted Roberts, Paddy Barkley, Gary James and Richard Butler. Next time on United Through Time we look at the end of Charlie's nine year spell at Manchester United, a second league title, a mishap with a goat, a stiff leg, a tobacco shop, a new football club and a brief stint as a manager and a lot more. Another busy one and the final part of the Charlie Roberts story. See you then. Thanks for listening to United Through Time. Each episode takes hours to produce, maybe as many as 100 hours per episode, maybe more. Maybe I'll actually measure it next time. Anyway, it is all for free and it's going to continue for free. And I think what uh, what I put out is of pretty decent quality and I really would appreciate any kind of support. There's two ways you can support the show. One is by sharing it with everyone you know, or the other is by paying a little bit of money each month or both. And if you pay a bit of money, you'll get some good exclusive bonus podcasts in return. You can get up to two extra episodes each month, blog posts, family trees, photos, etc, etc. There's loads on offer. UnitedThroughTime.com forward slash support for details. Cheers.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.